Companies around the world are solving their most important challenges with Google Cloud, like PayPal, who's solving for millions of daily hopes, dreams, and financial ambitions. And Google Cloud is helping them achieve their mission to transform the prosperity and opportunity of millions of businesses around the world. With massive scale and processing power, PayPal is connecting Main Street to every street. Google Cloud, what are you solving for? Visit g.co slash cloud slash solving. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. It feels good to say that after this long off-season hiatus, and it feels good as well to talk to fellow staff writer Zach Cram. Zach, how you doing? Hello. Ready for spring. Yeah, well, we've got some odds and ends to pick up from this off-season because uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but the Astros have been stealing signs. I've only heard communication and loud bangs, and I guess that's what that means. Yeah, uh, so we're we're actually going to use our voices instead of using hand signals and, and trash can bangs, although you might hear some of that uh, later on the show. Uh, this has been the the dominant story of this offseason. Uh, so before we start our preview content, or I guess you could consider this the beginning of our preview content, uh, Zach and I are going to take you, the listener, through everything that's happened with the Astros. So if you have not been paying attention up to this point, uh, this is everything. I actually wanted to call this episode everything you ever wanted to know about banging, but were afraid to Astro. And I don't think Bobby's going to let us do that. So uh, let's uh, let's get started and uh, you know go through step by step. We've got 10 topics that we need to cover uh, related to this scandal. So I'm ready if you are, Zach. Let's go. All right. So the first question is, what is this? Why is this important? So the very basics of what happened is that the Astros were found to have been stealing the catcher signs using a camera in center field. This in 2017 and 2018, possibly after we'll get into that. Uh, But during that time, they were the best team in baseball. They won the 2017 World Series, the first in franchise history, and they cheated. Uh, A.J. Hinch, the manager, Jeff Lunau, the general manager, were suspended by Major League Baseball for a year and then fired uh, by the Astros organization. Uh, There was further fallout with Alex Cora, who was the bench coach on that team, and then subsequently the Red Sox manager resigned. Carlos Beltran, who was a player on that team, and subsequently the Mets manager resigned. There is an investigation about the Red Sox, uh, and that was kind of just the start of what happened this winter. Yeah, and what really made this like the scandal itself, the the uh, Rob Manford report from the commissioner's office that tried to tie a bow on it. And the reason that we're still talking about this now, two months after the report came out, is that it didn't work like it, a cover up is too strong a word, but they were definitely trying to quarantine this the scandal to make it uh to try to get past it because this is embarrassing for major league baseball. It's immensely embarrassing for the Astros and it's probably not good for business because it, you know, if we find out that uh, one of the most successful teams in the league has been cheating for the past several years. And by the way, not just the Astros, but the Red Sox are being investigated as well. Like you said, there have been rumors about close to a dozen other teams that have been involved in some form of electronic sign stealing. This is, a huge scandal that could undermine public confidence in major league baseball and particularly major league baseball's leadership. And, uh, this, 
the the attempts to quarantine the story have been uh somewhere between ineffective and uh, and clumsy and so this story has legs uh so let's go into a little bit more detail about what exactly happened so we've been talking about this is the or we just gave you the the very high level view of what happened if that's all you want to know and you can turn off the podcast right now but if you want to learn in more detail, here's what happened in more detail. So the Astros uh, set up a camera in center field. There are Major League Baseball rules as to where teams can put cameras uh, for player evaluation purposes. So, for instance, they'll film uh, pitchers, like put up a camera facing the pitcher to track his mechanics, something like that, and have cameras all over the field to, so they can watch uh, pitcher and hitter mechanics from different angles. The Astros had one at dead center pointed at the the catcher's crotch essentially to, to decode his signs. They could match it up to uh, match up those signs to whatever pitch the, the pitcher was throwing. And uh, this start and the, what makes this, I think this is really what gave the story a lot of traction is the method of communication was that at least for a while that players would relay uh, a warning to hitters uh, from the tunnel by banging on a trash can. And that, absurdity i think is what what really caused the story to to grow those legs i was talking about yeah i think that's an important aspect we can't overlook because it's the mix of new technology these cameras that can pick up thousands of frames per second and zoom in on the smallest detail 400 feet away and relayed instantaneously to batters uh waiting in the clubhouse area to to whack a trash can and it's that mix of high tech and low tech uh, the fact that they must have at some point sat around in a room and thought to themselves, well, what's the best way to communicate this information once we have it to the batter? Could we whistle? Could we clap? Could we use some other form of con- communication? No, we're going to take a, a bat and whack a trash can with it. And I think there's a, an absurd aspect to it, but also like it's almost delightful if it weren't such a posing such a problem to the integrity of the sport. There's a clumsiness, but also like a kid friendliness, a do it yourselfness about it. Yeah, I I don't think those two things are are in opposition at all. I think that uh, it can be it can pose a, a how do you call it the the uh, a threat to the integrity of the sport and also still be hilarious. Like this is both of those things can be uh, can exist at the same time. So one thing I should have mentioned is. Uh, there are rules to prevent teams from doing this. And so uh, one of the the stipulations is that there can't be monitors on a real-time feed within a certain distance of, of the dugout. And the Astros set up one of those monitors in the, in the tunnel that leads from the dugout to the, uh, to the clubhouse. And that's how they got the real time, uh, look at the, at the cam or at the catcher's signs. Um, I should also mention that as much as we've been talking about players and coaches, this, electronic sign stealing uh, operation originated uh, with the front office in September 2016. This was reported by Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal uh, that the Astros had started logging catcher signs into a spreadsheet and then used an algorithm uh, to decode them. And that was unveiled to Jeff Luna, the now former general manager in September 2016. So this is years and years in the making. That other scheme using cameras to enter catcher signs into a spreadsheet also combines this measure of breaking the rules with hilariousness because in this wall street journal report we learned that the internal names for this scheme included 
the dark arts. Someone's been reading too many Harry Potter books. Uh, and then also that means Code a lot Breaker. coming from you, Zach. <laughs> well, I guess coming from me, nobody can read too many Harry Potter books, but they also called it Codebreaker. And there's somebody in that story who said that Jeff Luna, the general manager, would walk into the video room and ask, hey, you guys code breaking? Which sounds like a line that would be cut from a bad mobster movie. All of the nomenclature around the scandal, like actually this is the we call it the banging scheme. You know, that's that's sort of what it's uh like that that's the public shorthand. And I'm a little disappointed that we don't have a uh uh like a deflate gate or something or ball gazi, like with the the Patriots and Tom Brady uh deflating footballs. Like we haven't we haven't got a pithy name for this scandal yet. We're far enough into this that I'm starting to get worried that one isn't gonna come. But it's just yeah, all the I, the fact that they called it dark arts and code breaker is just hysterical like i i think i said this at the time like this is why we need humanities education because we've got all these mbas and all these mathematicians and engineers working in front offices and they can't come up with cool code names for the evil shit they're doing it's just so disappointing such a missed opportunity and if they had read harry potter they would know that the defense against the dark arts teacher has to be removed after every single year so it's no surprise that lunau's gone i was gonna say you think that's how rob manfred got the idea to to suspend and for one year and i wonder if uh if dusty baker the new astros manager will, will last longer than one year um in keeping with the defense against a dark arts teacher okay next big topic sign stealing is part of the game it has been part of the game since the game has been the game since they started throwing off speed pitches in the 1800s uh how did this contravene the rules so i think there are two factors that distinguish this sign-stealing scheme from what is generally accepted around the game. The generally accepted part is that if a runner is on second base and can, through his own personal wiles and knowledge of the game, figure out what signs a catcher is making and relay them to the batter while standing at second, that is generally considered okay. Uh, There are players who are purported to be very good at this. Incidentally, Carlos Beltran is one of them. But that's why you see, for instance... Other teams change their signs when there's a runner on second base, go to uh, a multi-sign system to try and fool the base runner. So that's what made the Astros scheme so potentially effective. Instead of just using it when a runner was on second base, which only happens about 20% of plate appearances, they were able to use it all of the time with no runners on base. And teams weren't concerned about that. Teams didn't use separate signals with no runners on because they didn't realize that the Astros were stealing them. And then the second reason is just the use of technology in general, which I think a lot of people realize uh, crossed the line, both ethically and within the the letter of the law. Right. And Major League Baseball, uh, this had been maybe not an open secret, but there have been rumors about something like this going on uh, to the point where in March 2018, Major League Baseball sent a memo uh, through Joe Torrey, uh, who's an executive with the league, uh, reminding teams that electronic sign stealing aids are against the against the rules, essentially telling the Astros to knock it off. And that's why uh, the uh, punishments that that were handed down uh, to Lunau and Hinch and presumably what's coming to Alex Cora and some of the other Red Sox uh, this is not just they did something bad. They did something bad and were encouraged to stop and they didn't. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hardly ever the cri- the original crime that gets you. It's so often it's the reaction to the crime, either continuing to do it or lying about it. Uh, 
Watergate comes to mind. I considered uh, in an early part of the planning for this podcast trying to draw a parallel between uh, figures from the banging scheme and figures from the Watergate investigation. And uh, uh, that was I decided that that would be maybe a little bit too esoteric. But there, I mean, the parallels are there that this is not about what they did wrong. It's it's the aftermath. I think that, uh, what is it, Slow Burn already has the monopoly on Watergate podcast content. Yeah, we got we to gotta stake out our own trash can at Bang. All right, so this raises another obvious question. Has anything like this happened before? The answer is yes, and every story is delightful. I think the Astros' current scandal is obviously a big problem with the game now, but it's kind of fun to look back on the history of efforts to circumvent the rules. So there are examples of science dealing that date back all the way to the 19th century. One of my favorite early cases comes from the 1900 Phillies who reportedly had a backup catcher who would sit in the outfield and peer at the catcher's sign with opera glasses. Then once he deciphered the sign, he would use a basically a telegraph machine that was wired underneath the field all the way to a buzzer stationed underneath the third base coach's feet. The coach would then signal the batter uh, after receiving one buzz for a fastball, two buzzes for a breaking ball, kind of like some sort of skewed Paul Revere adventure, one of for fastball, two of for curveball. Uh, and that wasn't the only example, but it's kind of one of the first that shows how far back teams have gone the extra mile uh, to try and steal pitches. We'll talk in a moment about whether this is effective or not, but it seems like teams have always believed they're effective because they keep trying. Right. I want to mention my personal favorite. Everybody remembers Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world, the walk-off home run that won the, the Giants the 1951 National League pennant. The Giants win the pennant! The Giants win the pennant! And that's the result of the New York Giants instituting a sign-stealing scheme not particularly dissimilar to what the Astros have been doing. It's a guy uh, with binoculars in the um, clubhouse in the polo grounds, which was in center field, relaying signs through a couple different intermediaries back to the batter. And they went, they came back from uh, more than 10 games down. It's one of the greatest regular season comebacks in history. And it's at least partially the result of a sign stealing scheme that technologically is not that dissimilar to what the Astros have been doing. And this was 70 years ago. It's pretty incredible. I know, uh, you know, Ben Lindbergh talked to Eddie Robinson, who's, uh, I believe, the oldest surviving former big leaguer, and he talked about the 1948 Indians doing something like this. So this is not a novel thing. It's just, yeah, you know, we'll get into this in a second, but like, what makes this the... Uh, actually, let's get into it right now. Why is this occasion such a big deal? So there are a few reasons, and I think some concern the scheme itself, some concern the Astros. Uh, with the scheme itself, I think the fact that the cheating occurred just two seasons ago is a really big factor because all of the key players, besides maybe Beltran, are still in Houston. The best players from the 2017 Astros will be the best players for the 2020 Astros. Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, George Springer, uh, and that means the Astros are still probably going to be good, and it's thus a relevant consideration when figuring out like how to handle the Astros of this era who for better or worse defined the last decade of baseball from their tanking and rebuilding to their 
aggressive uh, embrace of analytics and kind of this Wall Street front office culture. Uh, the Astros, for instance, made the World Series in 2005. If it came out today that the 2005 Astros had employed a science stealing scheme, would that have made as much of an impact? I think probably not. Yeah, I think you know I, this has led to some interesting fan discourse, uh, and a lot of Astros fans are are raising a, a they raise a point that the Astros are being singled out, and I. You know, I don't think for a second that's being brought up, that point's being brought up in good faith, but I think there's something to this that the Astros are particularly, maybe uniquely suited to piss people off by doing this. Because uh, as a lot of this reporting was coming out in The Athletic by uh, Evan Drellick and uh, Ken Rosenthal, uh, they were reporting also on the culture of the front office. And so a couple weeks before this, uh, the Astros had fired their, or a couple weeks before, I should say the uh, the story broke during the 2019 playoffs. Uh, the Astros fired assistant general manager general manager uh, Brandon Taubman, who had uh, confronted and uh, intimidated a group of female reporters uh, in the clubhouse after the ALCS. And uh, the beef between Taubman and uh, some of these reporters dated back to the Astros' acquisition of Roberto Osuna, who they essentially who had been uh, coming off of a. Uh, domestic violence suspension and the Astros essentially picked him up for cheap. They arbitraged uh, the uh, horrible off field thing that Osuna did and was suspended for. And, you know, there's a moral cost to doing that. And the Astros had just been uh, less concerned, let's say less concerned with that than, than most of the other teams in the league and kind of proud and arrogant about it. Like they carried this air of, like they did a lot of stuff that pissed a lot of people off and so a lot of it worked in terms of winning uh in terms of winning baseball games but they made a lot of enemies for instance they they uh laid off essentially their entire pro scouting department uh which and decided to replace them all with tech and you know cameras or, or stuff like that or, or trackman data and uh so they've made a lot of enemies and they've won a lot of games and they've been really arrogant about it and they've traded on this of reputation, particularly Lunau, uh, of being the smartest people in the room. There have been numerous articles and books written about this. You know, since Ben's not here, we can rag on him. Like a lot of his, <laughs> a lot of a lot of Ben's book is about the innovative technological uh, player development stuff that the Astros are doing, and rightly so. They're you know they're at the cutting edge of that, but uh, they're doing it in a way that's very easy to dislike, and so. This is just the perfect storm of technology and arrogance and amorality that has defined the Astros uh, culturally. And, you know, this is they're reaping what they sowed. I think the smugness is a key point here, because if you're in a class and the valedictorian is very smug about being the valedictorian and then you find out that they were cheating Zach, on talking about tests, yourself. My you high school did not have valedictorians, actually. Oh, we did okay. not have class rank. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah, one of those. We we just gave out participation trophies. But when you find out that the person who has been beating you and beating you constantly, and most importantly, saying that they're smarter and better because they're beating you, when it turns out that that is built on a foundation of lies, then you're going to be really upset about that. And I think that within baseball itself, people had been worried for a long time you might even say paranoid except does it count as paranoid if you're right 
uh, they were worried that the Astros were engaging in the dark arts, shall we say. And that was borne out here. I think there have been even wilder rumors, like the fact that the Astros might have been using buzzers, which has become a topic this offseason. But I think ultimately what it comes down to is the fact that the Astros presented themselves in a way that they should be the model for future team building. And it turns out that that model was cheating. The fact also is that it just made for easily consumable content. It wasn't some elaborate some elaborate uh, sign language system. There weren't people like running uh, signs to the batter. It was somebody banging a trash can. So anybody with access to MLB TV archives can make a breakdown showing all the bangs. And you can see these breakdowns with millions of views online or isolate the sounds with software on your computer that some analysts have done to figure out just how widespread this scheme was, who was using it the most. And I think it makes it easier to digest to actually have the video in front of you, which isn't a phenomenon isolated to sports. I think in general, when you have video and when you're easily able to identify what's going on, I think it strikes as more powerful than just if you read about something that had happened in the past. Oh, yeah. And to that point, I think it also, uh, because of the banging, it's easy to corroborate independently. And like you said, you know, a bunch of people have done it in different ways, gone back and looked through, you know, looked and listened for uh, for banging on certain pitches. And once you find it, it's impossible to refute. And so it's, you know, it, it's right out there. It's it's weird. It's silly. It fits in with the the narrative or the the preconceptions that uh, a lot of hardcore baseball people had about this franchise. But like you said, it's also digestible. It's very simple. It's right out in front of you. It's very easy to understand. You know, so you get people, either fans or in the media, who don't really care one way or another about baseball, who are interested enough in this to. Give it legs on on you know more more generalized uh, sports editorial programming programming and so uh, you know this is just I I definitely underestimated the reach and the the level of outrage that that this had when it came out um, you know I've underestimated I've I've been surprised at every turn every time you know some new uh, some new twist in the story has come out and uh, just there seems to be a limitless uh, limitless uh, appetite. Uh, for uh, for this story. All right. So, what? Why is this such a big advantage? I think the fact that it's an advantage to know what pitch is coming next is obvious. Uh, but what advantage did the Astros really gain from this? Did they? Was their 2017 and 2018 success built entirely upon knowing what pitch was coming? Like, if the Mariners had gotten to this first, would they have won the pennant? I think the evidence is mixed, and that's been one of the really fascinating results of this entire encounter is I would have assumed that that would be a huge advantage, but this is kind of the perfect natural experiment, and the evidence is mixed. If you look at the Astros just on the surface, their 2019 team was uh, their, their 2017 team was obviously very good. They won 100 games in the World Series. And their offense ranked as the fifth best of Major League history by WRC Plus, which is a fan graph stat that basically adjusts for league and home field context. So the Astros were really good, except the four teams ahead of them were three 
old uh, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth Yankees teams and the 2019 Astros. And as far as we know, the 2019 Astros were not cheating in this manner. Uh, we can talk about whether that was actually true. In yeah, a as far as we know, is carrying a lot of weight there. But uh, the Astros, I think, made changes to their lineup before 2017 that would have inherently improved their offense. One data point uh, that seems really striking is that the 2016 Astros were 27th in strikeout rate, and then the 2017 Astros were first. So they jumped from the bottom of the league all the way to the top. No team in Major League history has cut their strikeout total year over year by a bigger amount. So you would think, oh, the fact that the Astros knew what pitch was coming would have helped them avoid strikeouts, except it might have just been that they got better players. Uh, that offseason, they brought in Josh Reddick and Beltran, who are low strikeout hitters, and they replaced Colby Rasmus and Carlos Gomez, who are high strikeout hitters. 2017 was also the first year for players like Alex Bregman and Yuli Gurriel, who are low strikeout hitters. So uh, there was a piece at Fangraphs by Jeff Sullivan before the 2017 season that projected the Astros to strike out the lowest rate in the league at 17.7% of the time. Their actual strikeout rate was 17.2% of the time. So it was basically as projected, even though the, you know, the projection systems obviously didn't know that the Astros were going to be cheating. Right. And our, there was a ton of discourse about this at the time that the Astros had cut their strikeout rate. And this was a, a good enough explanation like that made sense that, you know, Alex Bregman and, and Gurriel and, and some of those other players they brought in were able to get the bat on the ball a little bit more. I mean, they built a really incredible offensive team uh, and you know, as much as this system, you know, it's it's unclear how much they were able to translate. uh the sign stealing scheme outside of Minute Maid Park. I, you know, you and I went to game two of the 2017 World Series at Dodger Stadium where they hit, what was it, 11 extra inning home runs or whatever. Uh, that was, I mean, they did stuff like that all the time in every park in baseball. And so they hit really well when, you know, when the, when they didn't have the, the camera and monitor set up, uh, at their disposal. So, you know, it's hard to imagine this didn't help them. But it's also, you know, I've I've yet to see a satisfactory estimate of how much it's, you know, it's, I I just sort of throw my hands up because I'm not really sure how how to measure that. And in Rob Manfred's report summarizing uh, Major League Baseball's discoveries, he said that the Astros voluntarily gave up this scheme midway through the 2018 season because they thought it was distracting and ineffective. And you can interrogate. The reasons that they would tell man for this, uh, even having been granted immunity, but I think there is some evidence that this may have been the case. Rob Arthur, who's done a lot of work on this subject of baseball prospectus, wrote a piece about a month ago titled, The Banging Scheme Hurt the Astros As Much As It Helped Them. And in this piece, he talks about how, because we're able to isolate when the bangs happened using these archives of games... We're able to see that when the Astros successfully banged for a curveball, then that would help them. They could recognize, oh, maybe I'm not going to swing at this pitch if it's going to drop out of the zone. But if you're an Astros hitter and you're expecting when there's a bang, it's a breaking pitch. When there's not a bang, it's a when there's not a bang, it's a fastball. You can see where a false alarm or a false negative won't be helpful because if there's no bang, you'll assume it's a fastball. But what if they just messed up on that pitch. And I think Rob Arthur in this piece showed that 
the cost of a mistake was worth more than the benefit of a proper bang. And I'm sorry for using the phrase proper bang so often. But the, the case well, is, you know, it might have been a while for for some of the, some of our listeners out. <laughs> but the case is that the trade-off was there and in a scenario in which you're not going to be able to successfully execute this scheme on every single pitch, there is a drawback and I think even some players said that they didn't want the scheme to be used while they were batting because you get so such tunnel vision when you're at the plate, you don't want to be distracted by what else is going on. Do you actually believe that that this did more harm than good? I honestly don't know. I think there are certainly scenarios in which it probably helped to know the pitch, but there are probably also scenarios in which they messed up, so it might not have been distributed evenly. And it's kind of a situation in which Perhaps over the course of a full season and tens of thousands of pitches, it all kind of evens out because that's what tends to happen to big data. And you could pinpoint specific cases of pitchers who were beaten because their curveballs were picked up early. But, you know, over the grand scheme of things, maybe it didn't have as much of an effect as you would anticipate just from kind of intuiting what was going on. I guess my my lack of trust in, in any attempt to to measure the effect of this just stems from it's got to be impossible like there are so many method methodological uh uh potholes to to try to um examine the impact of something like this uh particularly if if you don't know in advance which pitches to look at um so you know it's it's tough but even if this did i, I do think it bears repeating that even if this did uh have a negligible or even negative impact like going this far out of the way to break the rules this unrepentantly there this unrepentantly like if it didn't work that's not exculpatory you know like it's still wrong even if you don't get as big a benefit as you think i think if it didn't work it's honestly funnier because then they would have won the world series anyway without having it tarnished but yeah you're right i think i'm more interested in whether it worked from a, a knowledge perspective, I'm just curious because we don't get laboratory experiments like this playing out in the real world very often. So as a baseball nerd who's curious what would happen if, like, uh, I think Giancarlo Stanton said in spring training this year that if he had known every pitch that was coming in 2017, he would have hit 80 home runs. And I'm very curious about hypotheticals like that. And here we kind of got to see one play out in real life. But I think the Astros were wrong regardless because if you cheat it doesn't matter if the cheating actually helped you you still did something wrong and that's where you know ethics matter and i think perhaps major league baseball uh, needs a reminder of that every so often yeah and so we mentioned that the astros at least according to rob manfred's report they gave this up in 2018 uh it became less effective over time as teams started to pick up on this um uh, in the 2019 World Series, uh, Steven Strasburg talked about having to change his signs all the time, even without runners on base. Uh, and that's when the the Nationals started to have a lot of success uh, against the Astros in last year's World Series. Uh, so the league knew about this, or at least there was strong, you know, strong uh, suppositions about this uh, before this happened. And yet it took, you know, journalism in order for this to come to light. Journalism matters. Pay for journalism 2020. Uh, so we mentioned uh, the original report, the first thing that, or the first time this was ever uh, discussed on the record publicly came in 2019 with Evan Drellick and uh, 
Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, they ran a, a, a story that relied heavily on Mike Fires, who was a Astros pitcher in 2017. It's since moved on to Oakland. Uh, he blew the whistle. Like, this is about as old school a revelation of a scandal as you're going to get. Uh, you know, a whistleblower opens up to to reporters, and then this led to some of the reporting that we mentioned in the Wall Street Journal and the front office and numerous other outlets uh, went back and, and, like we said, looked at the tape and listened to the tape and, and uh, you know, confirmed this. And yeah, it's, it, it is kind of interesting to think that about how, and, you know, Mike Fires has become a huge part of this story uh, because of the role he played in bringing it to light. And if he hadn't spoken up, we still might just be talking in, in innuendo about this. Yeah. And the Oakland athletics, which was Mike fires team uh, later in the 2018 season and 2019 uh, after he left the Astros, they said that fires showed up and told the clubhouse, Hey, here's what's going on. And that they filed a report with MLB. You would, you could see why the athletics would want to do that. Given that the Astros are a division rival and MLB basically didn't do anything about it. I think one of the motivating factors, at least from the outside, from Manfred and co that we've seen is they just want this to pass over as quickly as possible. That's what came through in their report. That's what has come through in Manfred's subsequent comments as the story has stayed alive in the ensuing months. And I think MLB would have preferred, if at all possible, for this never to have come to light. You can see why, because it's a champion, uh, two champions in the case of the Red Sox uh, immediately being tarnished uh, after winning the title. But I think it's a real splotch on Manfred record that it took this being publicly reported to finally get them to drag their feet and actually conduct a real investigation and levy. Well, I mean, sort of conduct a real investigation because they were definitely still trying to soft paddle a lot of this stuff. And every time, and what's made things worse is every time the Astros or major league baseball have, have come out and addressed this, it's been, and they've under tried to undersell it to downplay it. It's been contradicted by later reporting. Um, you know, I think we, while we're still talking about fires, you know, this is, and maybe this will lead into our next topic, which is like the broader cult cultural impact. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of his taking going along with this, essentially uh, being a tacit participant, even though he wasn't a hitter uh, and winning the world series and then going around and blow, you know, turning around and blowing the whistle on it. And, you know, it's come from disappointing places, you know, analysts that I tend to like, like uh, Pedro Martinez and Jessica Mendoza, David Ortiz has spoken up about this too. Uh, you know, I just, really dislike that kind that uh that angle on this i think we ought to protect people who speak up about um you know having inside knowledge of of wrongdoing even in something you know as low stakes as trying to to win baseball games um you know i I think we need to have uh an open mind about why people choose to speak up about certain things and when and you know give people in fire's position a lot of latitude because imagine if he had tried to uh go public with this in mid 2017 like that it's it's just it's a lot to ask of somebody so yeah and there has been some criticism sent his way i think that he didn't reveal it the right way that he should have gone through the official channels but apparently he tried to go through the official channels and oakland filed the report and mlb didn't do anything and i think criticism of methodology as opposed to 
to impulse or conscience isn't the right place here because fires of everyone involved in the 2017 Astros is kind of the one guy who has been the most forthcoming about it. And now he is, you know, going to be pitching against Houston this season. And I'm very curious to see what his reception is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he technically got a world series ring. I don't think he was on the playoff roster in 2017, but it's also kind of revealing about what Houston assumed about baseball culture that they had more than 25 guys in the locker room because you had guys coming up in September, you had guys being called up and shuffled down, and they didn't realize that this would ever come out. They didn't realize that this would ever travel to other clubhouses once players were traded or released. And I think it kind of speaks to their haughtiness about the whole situation that they didn't understand the kind of risk they were in by having so many people aware of the secret. That's exactly right. The more people know a secret, the harder the secret is to keep. So let's move on to the broader cultural view, because like this reaction, the reaction to it, it has al- almost been as big a story as the scandal itself. Uh, players are pissed and fans are pissed. And to the point where uh, Major League Baseball has had to issue uh, a directive reminding pitchers not to throw at Astros players, that there's going to be no vigilante justice in the 2020 season. Um, you know, we've seen this come up from teams that... Uh, or players who have lost the Astros in recent playoff series. Uh, you know, Cody Bellinger has been one of the more outspoken Dodger players. Um, Mike Clevenger on the Indians. I don't know. Is it even worth mentioning that Trevor Bauer has been front and center in this? Because it seems like Trevor Bauer talks a lot. Um, but it, it's, but it's to the point where even like, I I realized how bad this was when Aaron Judge and Mike Trout were talking about this. Aaron Judge and Mike Trout, who have, you know, I, don't think either of them has ever said a compound sentence in front of a reporter uh, are getting spicy about this. That's the that's the temperature that the league is at right now. Mike Trout said, I lost a lot of respect for those guys. And that's like I hearing mean, your dad's disappointed in you. It like, is. You know, that's exactly the comparison I was going to make. Like if you're I don't know, Alex Bregman, you probably think you're the best player in baseball anyway. But if I were in a situation in any situation where Mike Trout was saying he was disappointed in me and lost respect, I think I would just give up and go home right there. I think you know that it transcended baseball when even LeBron James is tweeting about this. LeBron James tweeted directly about his disappointment in Rob Manfred, ending with the memorable hashtag, hashtag just my thoughts I'm glad coming you from a sports <laughs> junkie, regardless my own sport I play. Thank you, LeBron, for that. We are truly in unknown territory in terms of cheating and hashtaggery. Uh, yeah, I, but this is what I was saying earlier. Like, there's so much, um, you know, there's so much news about this that's so interesting to non-baseball people. Uh, you know, it's I I guess the one question that that we sort of have to unpack a little bit is there are two schools of thought about this, that one, this is bad for baseball because it makes, uh, it undermines the credibility of the dominant team of the past three years. It undermines the credibility of the league's authority structure, but also it's the biggest mainstream baseball story since what, you know, what's the, what's the last baseball story? Like Otani coming over. It's bigger than that. Jeter retiring. Yeah. Like the A-Rod suspension. Like, does it go, I'd go it, maybe back to the late 90s. Jeez. Like, 
I, I don't know. The A-Rod suspension, like if you're, before you go back to the home run chase, I think you have to go back to the Mitchell report. Um, but like it's that level of, of notoriety. And is there such a thing as bad publicity? I think the answer is yes. And that's because if the integrity of the sport kind of crumbles as more people are being interested, then that's not a long-term lasting interest. And Major League Baseball, if they're worried about the sport lacking fans, I think they need to be worried about it long-term. And how can we attract younger fans to be interested in the game? Not just how can we attract kind of rubbernecking gawkers as they drive by between... You know, they might watch a couple Astros games this year to see if players get hit by a pitch or if the Astros are cheating. But ultimately, if they're not invested in the actual sport, they're going to switch back over to the NBA finals or the Olympics or the NFL season once that begins. And I think if you're not attracting long term viewership, then it's not really to the benefit of the sport to to attract attention because of controversy. I think controversy might sell an in the immediate term, but not so much over the long term, which is where the concern should truly lie. And a lot of the biggest threads to this story, at least the ones that have snowballed uh, since the the report came out, have been that sort of carnival sideshow variety stuff. Like, you know, the the let's just address the buzzers. Apparently, there, there was a rumor that uh, certain Astros hitters were taping buzzers to themselves uh, because the opponents had caught on to the trash can banging and so they uh needed some other way to to communicate what what pitch was coming and this led to frame by frame breakdowns of Jose Altuve's uh celebration after his walk off home run in the ALCS telling his teammates not to tear off his shirt um well he's he's got a bad tattoo michael you know i've spent a fair amount of time in major league clubhouses and let me say there is no tattoo that Jose Altuve could possibly have gotten that would be embarrassing by Major League Baseball player standards. These people have some of the worst tattoos that you can imagine. Uh, but like it's, but this is what we're talking about. And so we're having tattoo discourse and we're, you know, talking about uh Carlos Beltran's niece, or maybe uh uh internet gadfly incarcerated Bob, who that might be a um tangent too far so you should just go go find robert silverman's piece of the daily beast about it because like we have we have reached levels of the absurd that just like you said are gonna attack are gonna attract rubberneckers but they're not gonna attract people to major league baseball on the basis that this is a good product like it's not i you know i'm i understand the the idea that like all all publicity is good publicity but you want to sell if you know if you if you're going to get repeat customers essentially if you're going to get people to buy into the game it has to be a quality product and this is anything but like this is not even sustainable drama at least it isn't yet although you know who knows how this is going to unfold uh going forward i think within the game you've seen kind of two different kinds of reactions from other players you've seen the genuine anger which has often resulted from like the Dodgers, Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger, who lost a World Series to both the Astros in 2017 and the Red Sox in 2018. So that's two teams that were, we know, cheating uh, to beat the Dodgers. And they've seemed genuinely angry, suggesting that the Astros title isn't real, that Jose Altuve's 2017 MVP was stolen from Aaron Judge. Uh, So we've seen that level. And then we've also seen 
the kind of humorous ribbing that I think will probably carry longer. Uh, like just yesterday, uh, if you watched the mic'd up spring training game between the Cubs and Angels, you saw Anthony Rizzo mic'd up at home plate. Uh, and I think Jessica Mendoza asked him, do you know if you're going to swing at this pitch? And he said, well, I don't know what's coming. Give me a bang if you know. And I think that kind of thing will probably last longer, this sort of self-effacing humor. And that seems like a healthier way to survive as a sport, just because the other one, like if you have players rebelling against the commissioner, players rebelling against other players and teams, I think that sets the stage for a real dangerous spot for the sport that institutions can't necessarily survive fighting within. Right. They can't trade on their own incompetence as a marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I think we do need to hit before uh, we start looking forward is you mentioned Altuve's 2017 MVP possibly being illegitimate. The, all this talk has been about the World Series in 2017 being illegitimate. It's worth diving into why no players got suspended and why the league didn't try to revoke the World Series title. Um, you know, this is this is actually because this is actually something I think as much as I think the league has mismanaged this, like it would just open up such a can of worms to try to to satiate the the angry mob. It would it would be an even less legitimate uh, an even less legitimate and popular. A remedy than the one they ultimately pursued. So I think the simplest answer for why no players were suspended is that they were granted immunity to share what they knew and that MLB wouldn't have been able to put together a comprehensive report without that information. Also that Banford can suspend front office executives and can suspend managers without having to navigate uh, the players union, which if you were going to suspend players he would have needed to do and that would have made the process drag out a lot longer and as i've already discussed i think manford's overarching goal was just to end this and move on as quickly as possible uh i i think that manford also when he uh gave this memo to teams back in 2017 that you need to cut this out if you're doing it apparently the astros didn't pass this information on to the players so i think there's a belief that the Astros players couldn't have been held legally accountable for it when it was management's fault for not forwarding them this information. And the other thing is, even if they could, you know, Manfred has perhaps unsurprisingly this close to a new CBA uh, negotiation has been trying to to punt some of this blame onto the, the onto the players union. But even if he did have a free hand to suspend whoever he wanted for however long for any reason, uh, I'm not even sure even with the information they have now, they know what the appropriate uh you know number of games or who to who to to throw the book at. You know, is is Bregman more culpable than Altuve? Is Altuve more culpable than than Reddick? Is you know, how much how, how do you deal with players like Marwin Gonzalez who have moved on to other teams? See, and not everybody who is on that team who took advantage of that that banging scheme or benefited from it directly or indirectly or had knowledge uh, and didn't do anything about it is still with the Astros. So then you, you know, if you suspend Dallas Keuchel for not blowing the whistle, are you punishing the Astros now or are you punishing the White Sox? And so it, it's just such a, it's, 
it's such a complicated uh, knot to untangle that I am sympathetic to the commissioner's office essentially just punting on it. Like it's it's almost too big a problem to or too complicated a problem to try to tackle. And also, like as much as people just seem to want vengeance or, or you know retributive justice, I don't think it would make anybody that happy. Um, particularly when you're talking about vacating championships, like I've got a particular scorn for, for, uh, sanctioning bodies that try to rewrite history who try to essentially act like certain things didn't happen. You know, you look at, um, you know, how good does it feel if you won a silver medal at the Olympics, you know, and the IOC kicks out the the gold medal winner, like you still didn't get to stand on top of the podium. You're still going to have those mixed emotions, even if you do feel some measure of justice. You know, I think it, at least for this did not rise to the uh, standard, at least for me, of trying of something that's worth rewriting history over because, you know, it, it happened. It's not like those memories, you know, I was at the parade. Like, it's not like you can take all this stuff away yeah i think the ncaa is maybe an even better example than the international olympic committee of an organization that seems to want to strip titles whenever it can but like louisville won the basketball championship last decade usc like reggie bush won the heisman i remember watching reggie bush play football that year and just because he might have taken improper benefits does not mean that I think he should have been removed from the record books because that, like you said, it's kind of erasing the history and the Astros forevermore will be tied with their 2017 title to what happened. The same way that 100 years later, we remember what the 1919 White Sox did. I think it possibly rises to that level of connectivity in that every future generation, when they see the 2017 Astros in the the world, the list of World Series winners and in the record books, they will know immediately like that's going to be the first thing they think of. That's a I think that's an important point. And like not to be like, I, I think we we underestimate the value of public shaming as a, a remedy. You know, that this is going to be a mark on the Astros record. And you know, I think it's appropriate to say, yeah, they won the World Series, but. You know, the same way a lot of people look at Barry Bonds' home run records or, you know, um, any number of, of other uh, accomplishments that that have like a mental asterisk. And I think it makes it allows every fan and every observer and every analyst to make their own value judgment. Like if this offends your sensibility so much, then, you know, you can react however you like. And I think that's there. There's so I think we're sort of missing the point when we are looking for a corrective penalty that satisfies everyone. Cause I don't think we're ever going to get there. I think we can just make whatever value judgments that, uh, you know, we can live with based on the information we have. And I think it's good that we have this much, uh, this much information now. Um, so I just said, and let's come, come on to our last topic. I just said that I have no idea how this is going to unfold. Uh, I'm just looking at our, our notes here, you seem to have some idea of how this is going to unfold. So Zach, why don't you tell us how the 2020 season is going to shake out for these Astros? Well, so I think number one is that the Astros are still going to be really good. Uh, they, as again, as far as we know, we're not cheating in the 2019 season when they were, if anything, even better than 2017. They won 107 games. They had one of the best lineups ever. They came within three innings of winning another title. And basically every player from that team is back this year, except for Garrett Cole. 
And obviously, losing the best pitcher in baseball hurts, but the Astros are still going to be really good. The Fangraphs preseason projections think they're the best team in baseball. Baseball Prospectus's preseason projections think they're the second team in baseball behind only the Dodgers now with Mookie Betts. And they have something like a 20% title chance. So they're going to be competitive all season. I think that will naturally lead a lot of people to wonder if they're still cheating just because they kind of have that reputation now in a Patriot sense. We are always on the lookout for any impropriety from the Patriot sidelines uh, since their various scandals. And I think that's going to pose a real problem because if Manfred wants the story to go away, it's not going to. The Astros themselves at spring training, I think uh, the first game they hosted, opposing fans brought signs to the stadium and the Astros in a move that is honestly too on the nose to it's think so, is real. Like, uh, irony is, it, it's so awesome that they did this. It's I can't believe that they they actually invited the invited the linguistic parallel. They literally stole the signs. Literally stole the signs. They literally stole the signs of the people criticizing them for stealing signs. So over the course of the season, how will fans react in Houston? How will opposing fans react? How will opposing players react with hit by pitches? I imagine there will be a lot. And then you will have to deal with the secondary drama of players getting suspended for more games for hitting the Astros with a pitch than the Astros players themselves were suspended for cheating. And I just... I think the the mess has died down a little bit over the last two weeks as spring training games have started and we've had pitcher injuries and position battles. But I think as soon as the regular season kicks back up again, we're going to see this this drama rise and maybe that will attract more viewers. But as I think we both discussed, it's not great for the integrity of the sport when the reason people are watching is because of a scandal. Right. And we'll come back to that in a second. I did want to touch on, you know, I think they're going to be good. You know, you mentioned losing Garrett Cole, but they're going to get Lance McCullers back from injury. They're going to have uh, contributions from guys like Forrest Whitley and Jose Urquidy, who were in the rotation full-time last year. Like, I, they could very easily win the World Series again, and that would be so hilarious. Like, as much as I am sort of scandalized by uh, the brazenness of all of this and disappointing the league's reaction, like, it would just be so funny. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not above or beyond laughing at this because this is objectively still kind of funny. And it would, if they came through all this and won the World Series anyway, everyone would get so mad. It would be awesome. Um, so I don't know if I'm rooting for that. I'm not rooting for, you know, they are the bad guy. You mentioned, you invoked the Patriots. You know, I think the Astros are on that level now. Uh, so I don't know if I'm rooting for that, but it would be one of the funniest possible outcomes. Well, it's funny until the Astros start dealing in nobody believes in us cliches. And I think that is a level of discourse that I'm not, I, I'm just not looking forward to. I'll put it that way that, you know, we, have enough cases already of say announcers talking about the obstacles that a player has overcome what the obstacles might have been of the player's own making and i think this is an example of that where the astros are basically piling themselves into this pr hole and then they can't turn around and get mad at people for 
the fact that they have to climb out again. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's different. You know, you're mentioning, you know, some sort of criminal behavior or violence against women or something like that. And it like that, you know, it's awful when when that gets reduced to a narrative, you know, someone, you know, a bad event in somebody's life gets reduced to like a narrative turning point, uh, you know, a, a learning moment. But, you know, this is I think there are this is so confined to the field that like, it's not like there aren't real world victims. You know, I meant to mention, uh, Mike Bolsinger, who's one of nine pitchers who got shelled by the Astros during the sign stealing, uh, regime got demoted, never pitched in the major leagues. Again, he's suing because, you know, essentially alleging that that outing ended his career. Um, so, you know, people lost jobs, they lost livelihoods, they lost, uh, bonuses, you know, there, there's real world damage. Uh, but it's, it's still, close enough to just being an on-field scandal. And I think that's what makes, that's another thing that makes this attractive uh, to casual fans that like, it's not that political, you know, it's not that serious that you could still just sort of gawk at this because it's something that happened within the lines. Um, Well, or that influence play within the lines uh, because it didn't happen on the field. It happened in the tunnel behind the dugout, but you get what I'm saying, you know? I think what I'm maybe most curious about for this upcoming season is how much this scandal continues to define the 2020 season. Uh, you know, Sam Miller at ESPN writes a piece about how there's kind of one memory that lasts from every baseball season, you know, 1919 as the season in which the Black Sox scandal happened. So I think 2017 in the future will be remembered as the season that the Astros cheated. 2019 might also kind of be the season tied in with the Astros cheating and the year that we discovered about uh, what was going on. And now could 2020 be like number three in that run of a season that is still defined in some large part by the fallout from the scandal? I think it's genuinely possible, which I think speaks to the reach and and the importance of this scandal in the game now and in kind of the history that's being written as we watch. And it's especially if the Astros are good again, especially if other players continue to be as upset. You know, if a pitcher goes to Houston and has a bad outing and talks in his postgame press conference about how he thought the Astros might have been picking up his pitches early, I it's hard for me to see this going away uh, before the year ends or longer than that. That's right. And I, you know, we're going to be talking about this for a while. So let's end on on one kind of vague question. You know, you've written, well, both of us, in fact, have written a lot about the juice ball and uh, the unpredictability of the league controlled equipment. Like, the, I mean, there are, we can't trust the baseball, the actual, you know, the actual nominative object of play. And between this and the, the league's attempt, attempt at cover up, you know, it's how much do you trust Major League Baseball? Maybe, you know, it, maybe not talking about them as a, a business entity. But as a as an organization, as a concept, as you know, an American institution, how trustworthy is this league in this product right now? Is it a cop out if I say I don't know? Or conversely, the the, the idea that the very fact you're asking that question kind of that might says be an the answer, answer in yeah. and of itself. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely that is maybe there will be some other form of this fallout that, that ends up, you know, characterizing the 2020 season or, you know, 30 years from now, we look back at 2019 as the, the year that this came out, that the Astros 
like that this that the the cheating scandal came out and the juice ball reached its peak and we look at that as the year of lost integrity um you know there's i think the league's in sort of a precarious position because they've they've let so many of these small things sort of chip away at their credibility uh that now something big comes out and they've they haven't dealt with it well and they don't yeah you know, they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt you know, certainly not in your lifetime, probably not in mine either. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, be alarmist and say this is like an existential threat to the game, you know, but it's, it, it is serious as much as, as, uh, it's easy to laugh at. I think you know, that there are, uh, serious implications to, to how we consider the game and the league going forward from this. Their credibility, you might say, is in the trash can. There you go. All right. That's awesome. That's a great way to end the show. Thank you, Zach Cram, for uh, joining me to talk about uh, the weirdest offseason in, in recent baseball history. Uh, thanks to Bobby Wagner, who's been behind the scenes pulling the strings, producing this podcast. Uh, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Uh, we'll be back with our season preview content starting next week and then weekly shows thereafter throughout the season. Uh, very happy to be back. Very happy and uh, grateful uh, to all of you who have come back to, to listen to us. I'm looking forward to uh, a good season. Until then, I'm just excited for real games to talk about. Yeah, well, we're still a few weeks off, but anyway. All right, thanks so much all you out there for for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>